I didn't even mention the fact that I, there's a family connection with Jake and I, and uh, he is my son-in-law. He's married to my daughter, and they have three beautiful daughters. But uh, Mike had mentioned about the car show, how well that went, and just want a, a shout out, a thank you to all the volunteers that, that pulled that out, pulled that off, in addition to the people who brought cars and came. And then we today are finishing up a series called Sola. All right, there's going to be a test in just a moment. You're going to have to do better than that, all right? So I'm just telling you. And next week, we start a new series called Redacted, and that's about truths you can't say anymore. And uh, so we're going to say those things and talk about that a little bit. But exam time, are you ready? All right, the five spiritual truths that we've been talking about, I want you to get vocal on me here. So here we go. According to, we are saved by, you know, I think I messed this up. Let's do this again. No, no, I didn't. All right. According to, we are saved by, through, in, for, Hey, that was pretty good. All right, give yourself a hand. Good job. And, and if you're new, you know, and you think that's really weird, we've been working on this for a few weeks, okay? We don't normally do that, but this is our series. So those are the five truths. And we're talking about today, God's glory alone, the fifth sola, the fifth alone. And uh, grace alone, God's grace alone, God's gift alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, without any helpful contribution on our part, rightly gives God all the glory as the only source and provider of our salvation. We don't really have anything to do with it. We don't contribute any merit to our salvation. It's a gift from God that we get through no work, only through faith, and that only in Christ. And so these are the, four, the five solas. So what's at stake if we mess up the first four solas, the first four alones, which is what sola means, if we mess up, if we add anything, mess up, alter any of the first four alones, it takes away from the fifth, God's glory alone. For example, Scripture alone is our final authority, and without any church, tradition, or anything else reinterpreting it, without a pope supplementing or overruling it, Scripture alone, keeping it alone, not letting anything else impact Scripture alone, protects the glory of God against the human temptation to alter His Word. And this alone, this little word alone, sola, which is Latin, although it's in other languages too, but this word alone, it's what unites them all. You see, anything that tries to add or supplement to any of these five truths, if they don't stand alone, if we try to add something to them, we actually take away from the glory of God. It's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that we've been talking about a little bit, so that 
We're saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. Why? Because we're not doing it. God has done it for us. All we have to do is believe. And so we're talking about God's glory. And it's interesting because when we think about glorifying God, here's what we think. We think, you know, if I did something great, I would glorify God. If I made the Olympics like Jake did, I would glorify God. If I played in the NFL or the NBA, I, I would glorify God. If I had any kind of a national platform, I would glorify God. But actually, God is telling us something completely different than that. And that's what I want us to see today. I mean, we've heard the term glory or the term glorify, but, but it's actually a little tricky to define if you think about it. Glory, glorify means to give glory to somebody, but what is glory? And there's a lot of ways of defining this. I think the way we think of it is basically correct, that we give dignity, honor, praise, splendor, that we're recognizing all that, the attributes of God, to glorify us, to praise God's faithfulness, his justice, his mercy, his holiness, his love. And then we find out through Scripture that all of creation actually glorifies God. All of creation does. We actually see that in Psalm 19, among other, other places. But Psalm 19, 1 and 2 say this. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. This is the psalmist saying, look around. When we look up into the heavens, we, we see the, this glory. It's actually pointing to the glory of God. It's not the glory of God, but it shows us the glory of God. It points to the glory of God. I remember years ago, uh, I was up uh, with Pam. We were near Yellowstone. I can't remember if we were inside the park or outside the park, but this was back in the day where you could move around a little more freely. And we were up on this lonely gravel road. I don't even know how we got there. I can't even remember if it's on the inside or outside of the park. Seems like it's the northeast corner. And uh, we got up on this just dirt, gravel road that just became kind of a two-wheel tire track. We're just in a car, but we got away up in the middle, and there's nobody anywhere around. And we got on top of this hill, and it was getting late, and uh, I decided I'm just going to, we didn't set up our tent or anything. I just said, I'm going to sleep outside. It was a bear country, so Pam said, I'm going to sleep inside. And so she stayed in the car, and I, I unrolled my sleeping bag and just laid there. And I remember, I still remember this. I mean, up on this small mountain, no light anywhere from the ground, and just laying there and seeing the stars. And it was just like, wow. I mean, they were so bright. There were so many. It was just, you could almost feel the weight of the glory of God. 
just looking up there. And I know all of us have, have seen that or felt that in a sunrise or out on the lake or, or a sunset where you're just like, it just stops you. And you're, wow. Wow. And, and, and in our busy lives, sometimes it's good for us to just stop in our tracks and just go, wow, this is pointing to the glory of God. See, heavens are telling of the glory of God. They're not showing the glory. They're, they're pointing to the glory of God. All around us, creation, even us, all of creation declares the glory of God. But here's the deal. There's a struggle for glory. There's a struggle in the universe for glory. Since before creation in, in Lucifer, there's been this struggle for glory. And in our sin nature, we are glory hungry for us. We are all about trying to, to get glory for ourselves rather than to follow the goodness of our creator and just yield to him all the glory. We have something inside of us that we want to achieve. We want glory. That's why a lot of times we sit around, us guys, and we talk about our glory days, you know. Remember back on the field when this happened? Yeah, I remember when, you know, I did that. We did this. Our team did this. You know, or if you're younger, it's the glory days you think are coming. Yes, yeah, someday, someday I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, that's, that's kind of what we revert to. But here's, here's another psalm in Psalm 115.1 that says this. And notice how th there's a phrase repeated there. It's, it starts out this way. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. You see, Scripture keeps reminding us to take our eyes off of our own glory or what we think is glory and glorify God. The weird thing is uh, this week I read a, about a survey, a recent survey, because it was about the Olympics. And this was incredible to me. Check, check it out. In this survey, a recent survey of Americans, 40% of Americans think they could compete in the Olympics. 40% across the board. So I looked in that a little deeper. First of all, who do you think are more confident, men or women? You're right, men. Yeah, 60% of men, 60%, more than the average guy, 60% of men think, I could do that and 22% of women. And then when they looked at it by area, in the Northeast, it went from 40% to 52%. I mean, apparently they're really confident in the Northeast. Yeah, I could do this, I could nail this. And then 70% of people under the age of 35. Th does that, that just sounds weird to me, 70% of people under 35 think, I, the Olympics, I could do that. No problem. 
And, and then what sports are they thinking? Three most popular sports they think they can compete in? Basketball. <laughs> Let me read that again. 70% of people under 35, yeah, basketball, I can do that. Olympics, no problem. Basketball, soccer, and swimming were the most popular. That just blew my mind. I don't know how long they think it's going to take them to do that, you know, or whether they have the will. But anyway, it's strange that way. Then I happen to have a son-in-law who has gone to the Olympics twice. And he, on the other hand, is one of the most humble people I know. It's just strange how that is. Here's the deal. The challenge is for us to take the real gifts that God has given us. We're not all cut out to be Olympians. I'm not. But let's take the real gifts that God has actually given us and use them for His glory. And, and the sticky part there is this battle within our own hearts that somehow we sort of don't want to do that. We want to pursue our own glory. That's just kind of a, a natural response. We pursue our own glory, achievement, gratification, comfort, whatever. That, we kind of milk glory from that. But at its extreme, if you take that to the logical consequences, that's basically idolatry when we think that way. That's putting something else or even ourselves before God. You can do that with an IRA. Hey, your IRA is more important to you than following God. Shouldn't be that way. And so God's saying, hey, I've given you a reminder. All of creation. I mean, look around. Look at the fields right now. I'm just amazed. I don't know what the farmers do that you can look across a soybean seal and a field, some of them, most of them, and not see a single weed sticking up. Have you guys noticed that? I don't know if that counts for God's glory, but I'm just like, wow. It, it, and then I'm assuming with the corn, that's just taller than all the weeds. I don't know. But it's like perfectly... It's just amazing. All of creation. God did that. We can't do that. God did that. God gave life. God invented that. We cultivate it. We adjust it. We weed it. That's just God's creation. And here's what God is saying, actually Paul in Romans, about this reminder and what we do with it. It's in Romans 1 Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, talking about God, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that we are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. And then it just continues from there. That's what we see all around us on how people, they look at creation and they deny God. We can't create life. We can't do it in the best circumstances with the greatest minds we have in the best laboratories. We can't create a seed, but we have a world full of people looking at creation and saying, yeah, there was an explosion one time and this is what happened. What? That never happens. You can scientifically prove that does not happen. But, but that's what so many people believe. We've exchanged the glory of God for a lie. We're notorious idol factories. That's what this passage is reminding us. We all seek to follow, worship, glorify something or someone else other than God. But for us as believers, if we recognize that our life and our salvation is from God, that really we should live for his glory alone. And when we do that, when we live for God's glory, when, they, when we see that as our ultimate aim, that releases us from trying to grasp, attain, and grasp, hold on to our own glory, which is just an illusion. It releases us from that. We can rest from chasing whatever we need that we think we need to chase. We rest in God's truth and joyfully seek his glory alone. And that's how Jake can sit here and go, well, I didn't meddle this time. You know, his attitude is God's in control. We should all be living our lives that way. So if that's what glory is, then Next thing, well then, why glorify God? The reason we should glorify God. Well, not only as a creator, we already talked about, because God alone is worthy of glory. Revelation 4.11, our future in heaven, if, if you're a believer, this is a scene. Worthy are you our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. If we understand all that as believers, we should want to live for his glory. Why glorify God? Well, also because God is teaching us that if we want to live the Christian life, we need to learn to glorify someone else other than ourselves. Actually, that is modeled for us in the Trinity, in the Godhead. You see, God created all things. And so a lot of people kind of view it like, well, God created people, and he made us in his image, and he made us so that we can glorify him. I mean, that's the main reason. And and that's a little, there's a little twist on, on what, the way I would see truth there. Indeed, our purpose is to glorify God. But God does not need us to glorify him. 
Because God has received glory throughout eternity. And and I want to show you that. It actually comes out of a passage in John 17. John 17 is uh, what's called Christ's priestly prayer. We think of the Lord's prayer from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, not what to pray, he's teaching us how to pray. And so we call that the Lord's Prayer, but really that's a little bit of a misnomer because that's not a prayer that Jesus would pray. That's just a prayer that he was telling us, you can pray like this. Here's how to do it, not what to say, but how to pray. But in John 17, we have recorded for us the longest prayer that, that Jesus prays in all of Scripture. And in this prayer in John 17, he He starts out and then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for his future disciples. He prays for us in John 17. But I'm not really going to get into all that. I just want us to see how that prayer begins, the first five verses. I want you to listen to this. John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, here's the prayer. Father, the hour has come. By the way, when he says the, in John, every time he says the hour, the hour, the hour, that's the hour of his death. Not in every place in Scripture, but that's the way John uses this. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus continues, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is amazing. This is the Son praying to the Father about glory. And in a lot of passages in Scripture, the Trinity, the concept of one God existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, that Trinity, that concept of the Trinity, which the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept of that Trinity is in the background of a lot of the Bible. But here is one of those places where the Trinity comes to the foreground. Now, in John chapter 16, he's already talked about the Spirit, and now in 17, he's talked to his disciples about the coming Spirit, and then in John 17, he prays this prayer, and he's basically saying, Father, glorify me. And and why would he need to pray that? Well, if you'll remember, uh, Philippians 2 teaches us this, that God, Jesus, existed eternally as God, but he voluntarily gave up some of his divine attributes in order to clothe himself in human flesh and be born as a baby. And so now at the end of his ministry... He's 33 years old. He's had a public ministry now for about three years. And now this is right before his crucifixion. And he's saying, Father, glorify me. And a lot of times in that context, we think, well, he means 
He's asking to be glorify him in the resurrection, but it's not that. He's saying, glorify me. He's saying, Father, glorify me. I've done what you wanted me to do. I've glorified you. Now I'm going to the cross. Now I'm going to allow my own creation to torture me to death in order to die for the sins of guilty people. By the way, we're all, you know, all of us are the guilty people. He's going to die a substitutionary death for us, and he's saying, Father, glorify me. That's during the cross, during his death, and then his resurrection. And it models for us glorifying another, someone else besides ourselves. For us, that's always God. And this interaction within the Trinity shows us how one God existing eternally in three persons has always existed in joyful love and worship and praise. They loved each other like this for an eternity. I mean, if somebody asks us about God in a monotheistic way, very narrowly defined to say, hey, why would a non-triune God, a single-person God, create worshipers? Well, then the answer would be, well, so somebody would worship him. But then the question is, well, why would a triune God who has been glorifying himself through three persons existing for eternity, why would a a triune God like that create people capable of giving glory? Because he already has infinite love and glory being expressed eternally. They already glorify each other. You see, a triune God didn't create a world to get glory. A triune God created the world and us in order to share glory. God created us to share in his love, his joy, his truth, and in a sense, his glory for all eternity. Later in this prayer that Jesus is praying in verse 22, here's what he says. Because I know that what I just said may sound weird to some of you. Well, here it is. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given them. This is when he's praying for his disciples. He also prays for his future disciples. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. So he's talking about a couple things here. He's talking about people like us having glory and that we should be unified like the Godhead is unified like the Trinity is unified. And then a couple verses later, verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you've given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. And it keeps going back to this eternal perspective within the Trinity. And God's desire is to draw all of us once we become believers, into increasing joy, delight, and truth in Him. And we do this 
when we stop seeking glory for ourselves and focus on glorifying God. And we do that by keeping Him at the center of our lives. Don't make me get out the bicycle wheel, right? An illustration I've used a lot, but we do that by keeping God at the center of our lives. And there's so many ways that we slip off of that. I'll give you examples. Have you ever been criticized? And when you hear that criticism, it just eats you up. But by the way, if you haven't been criticized, you're not doing enough. Because you know, if you do, you're going to get criticized. All right. So, but sometimes we'll get criticized and just eats us up. Boy, if I, if I had a public platform to respond to that, I would just, and it, and it just, it just tears in our spirit and we're, it just ruins our day. You know why? Because we're too concerned about glorifying ourselves and not our Savior. If our focus is on God, that doesn't bother us as much. You know, because we're focused on His glory. We'd rather they criticize us than God. Have you been, ever been more upset at gaining five pounds than the sin in your life? You know, what is that? It's about glorifying ourselves more than we glorify God. You're glorying in how you look more than you are God. You know, and we all slip into this. And so, last, it's sort of, how do we do that? How do we practically glorify God in our life? Well, first, we glorify God. The first thing that we need to do is come into relationship with Him. That's become a believer. And as we've been talking about all through this series, this is a gift that God is offering you. It has to be a gift because none of us deserve salvation. This is... This is the biggest lie that's out there about the Bible is, hey, the Bible just tells us how to live, and if we can live good enough, then we get to go to heaven with God. That's actually the opposite of what the Bible's telling us. The Bible's telling us how to live, and then the Bible's pointing out to us, none of us can do this. We've all failed and fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul would say in Romans. But God loves us anyway, and so without violating his justice, which would demand that we be punished for our sins, that's the right thing. In his love for us, he allows Jesus to leave glory, come, take on human flesh, voluntarily set aside some of the use of his divine attributes, live a life of a poor man in dusty Palestine, and then after 30 years of growing up, have three years of public ministry, ultimately just to die on the cross, tortured to death in payment for our sins, his substitutionary death, he pays the price that we all should pay. Death, separation from God. And having done that, now without violating God's justice, he can offer us salvation. But we can only get it through faith. We can't do anything to earn that. And we see God's glory in that. 
And so every person who lives has to make the decision to put their trust in Jesus alone, or they continue to reject having their salvation in Jesus alone by either adding things like religious rituals or whatever to sort of help themselves merit God's salvation, which is impossible, or just not believing in Jesus, don't want to hear about it, don't want an authority in my life. But Scripture's telling us we only have this one life. You want to glorify God in your life? It starts right there. By recognizing your sin, we all have it, our rebellion against God, our failure to do what's right, and ask for forgiveness. And the only way we can ask for forgiveness without violating God's justice is by putting our trust in what Jesus did for us because he paid our penalty. Jesus alone. Put our faith alone in Jesus alone. And all this is a gift alone, which we call grace alone. But you have to make that decision. And you can do that right now. You could do that on your drive home. You could do that while you're mowing your lawn. Only you and God know if you're serious and you're sincere. Once you do that, then we are freed up. We have this new life to glorify God in our life. And so we say, well, then, well, how do we live? Well, actually... This question's answered, but it's answered in a a strange way. It's like the secret to life that's buried in this conversation in the New Testament. And I want to set the context for the conversation so you'll get what's happening here. Paul is writing the Corinthian church. There's a lot of paganism stuff going on, and he's talking to them about people worshiping false gods. But for us today, here's how it would be. Let's say that several of us, that you signed up for a trip for us to go to Thailand and visit our orphans, which we do once in a while. We don't have one planned right now, but we've been doing this about every year or two for for 10 years or whatever. So you sign up for the trip. We go there. We see our kids. We're having a great time. But then every once in a while, our kids, the older kids, a team of kids who can sing and do some stuff, will go up into the jungle and will evangelize a village. So we get in a couple of trucks, we drive up to this village, and I mean, we are deep in the jungle. I mean, it's four-wheel drive, we can barely get there, we're pushing the truck, we're pulling the truck, we're trying to get it to this spot, and then we get it to this village, and when we pull up, the village, who's hardly ever seen a truck, I mean, they flock out and they're excited. But we've interrupted something. As we pulled up, the witch doctor, and they have witch doctors, is in the village, and he has just gone through this elaborate ceremony where they have killed a chicken and they have dedicated that to their God and offered that as a sacrifice to the idols that they have sitting around there. And now the witch doctor is a little bit creepy and it seems really dark, but then he invites the whole team, hey, let's sit down on this blanket and I'm gonna serve you this chicken because we've just sacrificed it to our God and this chicken by eating it will give you some of God's power. And so we sit down and they serve it up. You eating that? This is the question Paul's answering (laughs) in 1 Corinthians 10. All the believers are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Paul, they're sacrificing this meat to idols, and we're seeing some Christians are eating this. And 
And here's what Paul says. Right in the middle of that conversation that Paul's having with these people in, in Corinth, he gives the purpose of our existence. The whole reason we as believers exist. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 10.31. A verse that I memorized in high school, a great verse to memorize. Here's what he says. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Did you catch it? Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you may do in the King James Version, do all for the glory of God. That's what he tells them. He's saying that every activity of our life has the potential to glorify God. But then he also includes some details. He basically says, look, you can eat that meat if you want because we know that an idol is nothing. We know idols don't exist. These are false gods. These gods aren't real. Even though a bunch of people believe in them, you can eat it. But then he says, but if there are some new Christians in that village and they've just come out of this life of worshiping idols, and that's going to kind of mess them up a little bit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're Christians. You're going to eat this meat. That meat was, was sacrificed to a false god that these people all believe in. Paul says, don't do it then. Don't do it if you're going to make another believer, especially a new believer, stumble. But if it's just the issue of eating the meat, it's not a big deal. But if you, by eating the meat, are going to cause any Christians to go, whoa, 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 you're going to violate their conscience because maybe they came out of that lifestyle, which would be understandable. We don't do it. Paul said, I'd rather never eat meat again than to one time eat meat and offend a new believer in that kind of a circumstance. But right in all that, he gives us a secret to life. We can make choices every day that glorify God. Anything that we do that's not sin and doesn't cause others to sin can be done for the glory of God. That should be what drives us. Understanding this allows us to approach every moment of our life as an opportunity to glorify God. And that's what God wants for us. Whether eating, drinking, exercising, working, listening, playing with your kids, babysitting your grandkids, taking, you know, talking to somebody, laughing with your wife, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You, you can do that with the purpose of glorifying God just by living out what God wants you to do. Laughing with your wife. God wants you to do that. And there's a thousand, ten thousand, a million other ways to glorify God and not yourself in the Christian life. And the question is, it just comes down to what are you living for? What are you living for? Are you living for yourself to sort of glorify yourself in, in some way? Or are you living for God? Because we should be living for God all the time. And he invites us and gives us a way to do that. You're mowing your lawn? Hey, I'm doing that because grass, God created it. It looks better mowed. We can mow it. I don't want my, I'm a terrible grass mower. 
but, but I don't want my neighbors going, what's wrong with that guy? And that guy's a Christian. I don't know what people are thinking. Whatever you're doing, do all for the glory of God. And if you've never put your trust in him alone, Jesus alone, don't let this go, day go by without doing that. But this may be the closest you ever come to making this decision for Christ. Let's stand together. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. Thanks for your love for us. God, help us to glorify you with our lives every moment, every day. Help us reorient our life towards you and your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you here next week at Grace.